Okay, cool. So everybody, I'm here with my friend Steven. Uh, we met through <laughs> we met through um, Justin uh, at our theater, Elm Street Cultural Arts Village, or I guess soon to be what is it, Woodstock Arts, right? Yes, soon yes. to be Woodstock Arts, and um, yeah. So I'm gonna let Steven tell you guys a little bit about himself and give him some space to tell his story, and then we're just gonna dive into these topics a little bit more. Go ahead. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I'm Steven. Um, I am 32 years old and um, I guess kind of just going back, I mean, I knew from a fairly young age that I, at, you know, at the very least that I felt different than uh, most other, at least boys my age at that time. Um, you know, kind of cliche sounding, but I was always, you know, the kid that was picked last for the sports teams in PE. Um, uh, really what I liked to do was sing and uh, be involved in theater. Um, I was a very active uh, young boy. I, uh, I know I drove my parents crazy because I was just like a bouncing ball all over, you know, all over the house all the time. Um, and I would just sing at the top of my lungs and run around the house. Um, so when I was very young, like five or six, even my mom enrolled me in singing lessons. And I, a story that she often told me was like the, uh, the music instructor, you know, the, the voice teacher basically told her, I don't usually take kids this young. What do you want me to do with them? And she was like, I really don't care. Uh, just let him sing and get his energy out. Um, but I, I fell in love with it. And, um, you know, uh, that was kind of what started me, uh, on a path of loving arts for, you know my whole life. Um, but I knew I was different. Um, I just didn't feel the same. Uh, I remember being 10 years old and seeing some film and I had a friend over at the time and I turned to him and said, gosh, that guy's so handsome, isn't he? And my friend at the time was like, uh, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so I guess not everyone looks at this like me. Um, you know, so it was something I'd been grappling with for a while. Um, by the time I was, you know, in high school, um, I, I, I left home at an early age when I was 10. I went to a choir boarding school in New Jersey for several years. Um, struggled with some depression during that time, ended up, uh, you know, leaving. Um, and then just uh, returning and doing some high school uh, in Camden, South Carolina, a very small town. And um, uh, it was kind of there when I was in high school, started to meet people, make friends, and really come into my own, at least as a you know, coming into grips with, okay, this is probably my sexuality. And um, even though I hadn't had a lot of exposure to it, I just, I just, I just inherently knew. Um, but things kind of went very sour pretty quickly, um, at least in my f familial relations aspect. Um, you know, my parents were always fairly religious growing up. Um, but there were times when we would skip church on a Sunday to go see uh, a traveling, you know, a touring show up in Charlotte. And uh, I grew up in North Carolina, you know. Um, so it was a big shock to me when they found all of this out. Um, in the long, you know, long story short, they, they ended up uh, putting some software on my computer at the time. And that's how they found out I did not tell them. 
Um, and of course, when I was confronted about it, it, it things just blew blew up. Um, and for the next couple years, our relationship just continued to decrease and, and get worse and worse. I tried to uh, have a boyfriend when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, you know, it was my first love. It was all those fireworks. I'd never experienced it before. Um, my parents found out and tried to put a wedge into it and cut it off by, you know, contacting his parents and kind of uh, doing everything they could to make sure that I did not um, see him. And obviously that didn't work, but um, I began acting out. You know, the, the harder they pushed, the harder I pushed back. Um, and it was constant fighting. It was almost always miserable. Uh, the home was a war zone. Um, and at one point, uh, when I was 15 years old, they decided because of, uh, my perceived acting out. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I wasn't defiant. I, I certainly was, but I was also a teenager. I was a gay teenager and I didn't feel like I was being listened to or, or, or heard in the least bit. Um, I can express that now, but at the time I could not express it. Um, so, uh, yeah, when I was 15, off I went to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah to a school um, for uh, at-risk youth is, is what it was titled as, um, but there were some nefarious conversion camp type activities that uh, occurred there. Um, my parents just basically said, you're going, you don't have a choice. Um, you know, and that was it. Uh, my friends in, uh, back in, in high school had thought I died. I mean, because I just, boom, disappeared. Um, and uh, so off I went to Utah, and um, I'm not going to go too, too in-depth about everything that happened there. Um, there were some good things that came out. I, I learned during that time to be alone completely with myself and talk myself through all of my feelings and I learned to cope when I at, you know when I was 15 years old with everything that was going on am I okay what's wrong with me is this the way God made me what's going on you know I was also trying to kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for I was trying to consolidate my religious upbringing with how I was feeling mm -hmm. and I didn't feel like it was wrong but um, you know, my parents did. And it was never something growing up that my parents, I, I, it's nothing I ever heard a lot about. It was not, you know, they were never commenting about uh, the LGBTQ, you know, community or anything. Um, but I uh, was, you know, I was just shocked when, to find out that maybe I thought they'd be okay and they, they weren't um, at that time anyway. So uh, I was at the school for about a year, about a year. Um, and, you know, being in Salt Lake City, I, I am not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I never have been. Um, but uh, there are a lot of Mormon folks out there. And so my parents wanted me to go to a Lutheran church, and they were, you know, going to the school administrators and saying he needs to go to a, a church that we want him to go to. Um, I ended up doing that every weekend I was taken to a church um, where I fortunately met a wonderful family, um, a loving, accepting family who I befriended, and they eventually started taking me home every weekend away from that awful place to mm -hmm. stay with them for the weekends. Um, and I, you know, my parents and um, this particular woman, I'm not going to name her name, um, had some choice words many evenings. I, I was very privy to the conversations over the phone that she and my mother had. Mm -hmm. 
and they just had very conflicting views. You know, she was from uh, the, the, the West and uh, Pacific Northwest, very liberal area. My mm -hmm. mom, you know, parent, both my parents growing up in North Carolina. So um, I, I really had to learn to be okay with myself. And so I, uh, I eventually kind of stopped participating in the therapy um, that they were wanting to uh, pursue with me. I, mm -hmm. I, I became firm in the belief that there was nothing wrong with me, fortunately, and just stopped. So they eventually sent me home saying, he's not participating. There's not a whole lot more we can, we can do. Yeah. Um, and so I went home. My parents had moved at that point, and I uh, went to a very small private school where I made, again, lots of friends. I tend to do that pretty rapidly. And, um, you know, uh, from that point on, there were, there were some fights. There were some things that went on um, still. Um, but, you know, I graduated high school, went to college, um, you know, out of state, and kind of really came into my, came into my own. Um, I was kind of a serial dater in college, I guess you would say, but um, nothing ever really stuck. Uh, decided to go to nursing school, um, and for the next couple of years, that really took up all my time. I didn't think about anything else. I couldn't think about theater. I couldn't think about music, you know, nothing. Um, I was too busy with my studies. So I, I, you know, finished my studies and off I went into the uh, world of, of nursing. And, you know, it made sense to me. All my fam all of my family, for the most part, is in the healthcare field in some yeah. form or fashion. So it felt natural to me. Um, and I was worried about being able to find work um, full time with the student loans that I had um, if I pursued theater at that time. So um, started working as a nurse, continued to date, eventually met someone uh, in Cleveland, Ohio uh, after nursing school, moved there for a job in the Cleveland Clinic and the neurointensive care unit for a few, um, for, uh, for, for a few months. Uh, it was not my speed at all. Uh, <laughs> Um, and kind of just opened myself up. Um, I had moved to Ohio to be in a relationship and it worked out extraordinarily poorly, um, to say the very least. Uh, so after that happened, I was like, okay, here I am. I'm not in school anymore. I just work and I need something. So I, I got myself a, a newspaper and looked for audition notices and there was a community theater doing a production of Avenue Q. So I decided to go out for it and I got one of the roles um, and at that time, I met my now husband, Justin. Um, but uh, eventually, you know, and that show went well. Uh, we were not close at that time. Justin and I weren't. Um, eventually, I got really tired of the Northeast Ohio winters and the weather and said, no, 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 I need to go back to where it's warm. And uh, so I did. Um, and eventually, somehow, Justin and I just reconnected, and we ended up flying back and forth for you know, about a year and uh, got engaged, got married. Um, at the time, we kind of uh, eloped <laughs> um, with my parents. I just, I don't believe that uh, telling them at the time would have worked out for me. Um, it was a little rough afterwards when they did find out, but they eventually, they eventually turned it around and um, uh, they, they, they love Justin now. We've been married for four years. Um, but... You know, so, you know, I, I don't think that going to the school was necessarily 100% bad. Uh, the practices there um, are often meant to break down kids and uh, degrade kids. Um, and 
you know, I mean, say what you want, but I, you tell me. A lot of times we would go on h hiking trips, go into the woods with um, all these kids who have these similar issues and camp with them. Um, so you tell me whether or not it's a good idea or effective therapy to have a bunch of uh, LGBTQ teens who are feeling messed up in their own right um, to all be together and go camping. It's just, it's, it was an odd thing. Um, but I, I mean, I did learn a lot. I, uh, I, but more than anything, I learned a lot about myself. Um, so yeah, now I'm a nurse working. I still do theater, um, when I'm able to, and, um, I've been married for four years. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's come full circle. My parents aren't necessarily I don't know that they love it, uh, but they've accepted it now. They love my husband, um, and um, it's it's just uh, it, that's kind of where we are. Um, you know, my parents aren't, for example, the parents or supporters that would post something on Pride, you know, for Pride Month, for example, mm -hmm. on Facebook. Mm -hmm. That's just not something they do. That's not something they would do. Um, I think my parents are of a generation from the old, you know, from the old South that, you know, 50s and 60s growing up, you, I think they believe you don't air your personal laundry. Um, and the new generation doesn't believe that because as an LGBTQ person, we're still all, you know, we're, uh, we're all still fighting for the rights. Yeah, marriage is legal, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at in my life at this point. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And um, my favorite part is always how you and Justin met <laughs> through an Avenue Q. Yeah. I just love that. Um, so when you had said that um, as a young boy, you like you weren't exposed to a lot of you know things about the LGBTQ, and you didn't really know a lot about it, and you just it wasn't brought up a lot in the house because just how you were raised and stuff like that, and religious views in your home. Um, did you, as far as like you're good. As far as like media and stuff, um, what like the portray the portrayal in media and like TV and movies when you were younger, um, did you see a lot of that ever? Not a ton, to be honest with you. Um, growing up, no, no, mm -hmm. not at all. Um, in my teen years, yes, as I became aware of myself, I you know I started seeking out more of that kind of representation in the media so that mm -hmm. I could see myself in it. Yeah. Um, I do remember when I was out in Utah, I, I specifically remember one instance where the lovely family I was staying with gave me a gift and it was a DVD set of uh, a couple of the seasons of Will and Grace. Okay. And when my mom found out she was furious, mm -hmm. furious. Um, I think if I remember at the time, it was something about, you know, encouraging that lifestyle her words. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think I eventually had to just seek it out on my own. Um, otherwise, it wasn't really shown to me, at least not my, by, by my parents. Mm -hmm. I love Will and Grace. You, got, oh. you and Justin actually introduced me to that. Yes, it's a, so, good, it's a good show. It it's is. a good one. It is. Um, I definitely, I've learned a lot, um, just even within my own treatment about LGBTQ mental health and um, just mm -hmm. like some of the friends that I've made in treatment at residential and at the center I'm at now who some of my peers there are a part of that community and I've learned a lot from them and luckily I've learned a lot from my center because um, they're open and um, treat 
anyone and everyone who wants to get help. <laughs> and uh, I've learned a lot, but I'm still learning. And with that, I want to know what your opinion is on like the, st the statistics um, in the LGBTQ with mental health and like honestly going anywhere from the rates of depression and anxiety and like suicide and suicidal ideation and stuff like that, substance abuse, mm -hmm. like all sorts of things. I know what I've read up on at least... I know a lot of it does tend to stem from rejection from family and mm -hmm. rejection from whoever their community is at the time when they chose to come out. And nope. so, um, 100%. but I, I do know that there is also a lot more to that. Um, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, no one's story is the same, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, as a healthcare provider, the first thing I would tell anyone when looking up, you know, statistics is to make sure you know your sources, mm -hmm. make sure they're accurate, that they're reliable. Um, you know, uh, one, I think, and, and, and yes, you're right. There are a multitude of issues that face the LGBTQ community um, from, you know, youth all the way into adulthood. Um, a lot of those issues do stem from childhood experiences and rejection. I mean, modern psychology teaches us this, right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the biggest things I worry about at this point, for the most part, I'm like, okay, I'm a big boy. I can, I can take care of myself, whatever comes. I worry a lot about our LGBT youth. Mm -hmm. um, the one of a, a, a great organization is uh, the Trevor project. And I was recently reviewing some of their statistics. Um, and 40% uh, uh, in their survey of LGBTQ respondents uh, had seriously considered a su uh, attempting suicide in the past year, um, with more than half of transgender and non-binary youth having seriously considered it, more than half. Um, you know, 46% uh, of LGBTQ youth report that they want counseling, um, that they need it um, by a mental health professional, but, um, they haven't been able to receive it or weren't, weren't support, supported in trying to seek that out. Yeah. Um, 29% of LGBT youth have been homeless at some point or, uh, you know, kicked out, run away. Um, and 10% of LGBTQ youth, um, have reported undergoing conversion therapy with 78% of those 10%, um, saying that it happened before they were uh, 18 years of age. Wow. So this sets up a lifetime of issues, really. These conversion camps, you know, these schools, facilities, um, many, in many states, they're still legal. Some states have uh, made conversion therapy legal, but not all, mm -hmm. not all, not, the majority of states have not, um, you know, and these issues in adulthood stem from constant rejection and consistently being told, um, you know, you don't belong. And I, I heard a lot of that growing up. I was bullied horrendously many times. Um, and that's just what LGBTQ youth face, many of them. You know, mm -hmm. like I said, no one's story is the same, but that's, yeah. it, it's a widespread issue. Um, and especially... Uh, in, in the southern United States, it's a big problem. Um, I'm not saying it's not a problem elsewhere in the U.S., but it certainly is an issue here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially when the South is already riddled with other, uh, other issues. Um, 
it's it's an especially big uh, big problem here. Um, but at the end of the day, when you look at it, the statistics don't lie. Mm-hmm. They don't lie. It's an issue. Yeah. I honestly, um, I even made a Facebook post about some statistics the other day. And I made a comment that I, part of me is almost like I wonder if the statistics are as accurate as we think or if it's actually far more people. My guess would be that it's probably more. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because a lot of people surveyed uh, may have this fear of rejection, may have you know, grown up in a way where I, I don't know, maybe they identify one way, but perhaps they're already married. Maybe they have children. Maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's so many different walks of life. Um, but of, of the numbers that are reported, I'm sure that it's far more. I mean, for example, uh, the current uh, population of the United States is somewhere around 328 million, some, somewhere around there, mm-hmm. um, to my understanding. And, uh, the most recent survey um, that's been uh, done, gosh, I was trying to remember who uh, who who did this survey. Um, it might have, it was in the latest Gallup poll, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. They said that 5.6 of Americans identify as LGBTQ. And while that might not seem like a big number, 5.6 out of 100%, um, but 5.6% of 328 million people is still well over 18 million 500,000 people, some, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, you know, uh, when you think of all those people, I'm sure some of those numbers are probably skewed due to the, you know, reporting issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure it's higher. I, um, some of my friends who are, uh, who I've met in my recovery journey, I w- remember hearing stories of like, um, going to a doctor's appointment or going to the ER or just like specific things like that. And the nurses, somebody goes in who's trans and they have changed their name. Um, but it's not changed legally or whatever it may be. And what's on the file is the past name. Um, and it's not respected. I've had friends who have had, um, therapeutic professionals say that, that they just don't believe in it. They don't believe in Mm trans they don't support it Mm, and i've mm. had friends where going into the er they didn't receive the care that they needed because they were part of the lgbtq it's an issue i mean it really is you know i i'll say i think as a whole Mm -hmm. um the lgbtq community is it's not invisible i mean and i think as a whole widespread acceptance is on its way, it's already much, much better than it used to be. Yes. You know, there's no comparison to now versus 30 years ago. Um, I think where we still lag, uh, absolutely, is with um, the 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 trans community specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot of understanding. You know, the oldest philosophies say we we are afraid of that which we do not understand. And I think a lot of people just don't understand it because they're afraid of it and they don't give they don't give themselves even the time to learn about it because they're so rock solid convinced that they just don't want to hear it and it's not a thing it's not a real thing it's not something people grow through but it is i mean it just you know uh it is and i think so it's a catch-22 right so very very thrilled that 
um, as a community, the, as a whole, the community's, you know, obtaining a little bit more acceptance. Um, but that's weighted against things like the fact that more than 250 anti-transgender bills have been introduced into the United States, uh, you know, by state legislatures mm -hmm. since January of this year. 250 anti-trans bills. Some have passed. Uh, Texas, for example, uh, just recently passed um, uh, uh, an anti-transgender law um, that uh, would not allow transgender youth to receive the care for the gender that they identify as. That's been signed into law. Uh, Florida, uh, just within the past two weeks, has also signed a new bill into law uh, of all things over uh, intramural sports and sports in high schools and colleges saying that, um, you know, we're not going to allow anyone who's transgender to play on a team of uh, individuals that they identify with. Um, I don't know why that makes no sense to me. I think the argument they try to say is, well, it's not fair to have someone who was originally born a male on a female team, uh, they bring it, you know, they say it's a fairness issue, but that's just hogwash. It's just hogwash. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just sad. Okay. It's sad and it's frightening. It wasn't one just passed in Tennessee <clears throat> about stores um, with dressing rooms, right? I'm, you oh. know, I'm, I'm not sure, but it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if it was dressing rooms or bathrooms. I can't remember, but you had to put a sign up, like, in the window, whether... Um, trans people can use the dressing room or bathroom. Oh, for goodness sakes. I mean, yeah, you know, that's the story. That's been going on for years, you know. Like, yeah. you remember the North Carolina bathroom bill scandal, yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just, it, I really don't know what else to say other than it's just hogwash. Yeah. It's scared people doing things out of fear, out of spite, out of misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. um, and no desire to understand anything outside of themselves. Yes. Literally me when my friends were just talking about that, talking about that the other day. Um, and uh, we were saying about how much energy it takes out of those people to lean into their hatred. And oh, yeah. how little energy it takes to be kind. <laughs> it and takes like, more muscles to frown than to smile. I mean, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's just like. I think about that a lot and um, I see a lot of arguments on social media about and this can even stem even further past the LGBTQ community like people of color and um, just everywhere in between of what their experiences are and I've heard people be like oh that didn't happen and I'm like how do you know that if you aren't that person right it's just like how do you how do you say that about someone's story like it's hard for me to understand how to not just take someone's story as their story and just listen. Active listening is a skill that uh, takes practice. Yeah. Um, and not a lot of people do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm guilty of, of myself not practicing it at times. I oh, think same. everyone is. Definitely. We could all benefit from hearing people. Not just, not just listening, but hearing. Yes. You know? Yeah. I learned uh, <laughs> this thing in therapy that... 
was like the three S's. And it's when somebody is telling you, like being really vulnerable about something. Yeah. You ask, okay, do you want silence, support, or solutions? Ooh, that's good. I like that. Yeah. And I think that's that's the way that I've been practicing active listening probably the most because I love to solve people's problems for them. I love to be like, yes, you've come to me. Rest easy. I will fix it all <laughs> and like try my best to to fix all their problems because like I care about that person. But it might not be they might not want solutions. They might just want silence. They just might want someone to hear and no response or maybe they just want verbal support. They just want someone to say, "It's okay now. I hear you." Or maybe they do want a solution and they need your help. But asking the person those asking the person that question of those three little S's I found have been really helpful for me for active listening. Definitely. The whole like skill. listening to understand versus listening to respond type of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's just not a whole lot of that done. Yeah. You know? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, uh, growing up mm -hmm. self, like your self image. Um, yeah. I'm sure it changed a lot. I mean, just over the years, like oh, yes. as a young boy and then being sent to that, what did you say it was called? Like youth at risk, at risk youth or something that camp and then eventually going to college and going to nursing school and all that stuff and where you are now. What were some like huge points that you specifically remember with like just self image in general? I think just the constant rejection and like, especially growing up when I was, you know, not, I don't even want to say behaving. It's just how I was. I, I am a little bit more effeminate and, uh, gosh, I was just, I, I remember just being bullied relentlessly because of it. And I mean, that, that does a number to you yeah. that would do an, you know, make an adult feel bad, you know, much, you know, much less a kid. And, um, I just, many times I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I constantly messed everything up. Um, and I felt like I never, like, I felt like happiness was just not, excuse me, something that was going to be attainable for me. And I thought that a lot. And I remember kind of feeling the deepest, darkest parts of that despair, like the first night that I spent at that facility in Utah. Yeah. Like I was, remember looking out the window from my bed and just seeing the moon and feeling like the most lonely that I've ever felt. The most lonely that I've ever felt, truly. Um, and that's something that sticks with you. Yeah. And you know, I, I wallowed in my pity for a while while I was there, but I eventually realized I, I don't really know it, you know, it wasn't anything I read. It wasn't anything I saw. It was just something I came to talk to myself about. Um, and just said, this isn't going to be the end of this. This is going to be just the beginning and, um, a jumping off point for me to explore the strength that I actually did possess. Yeah. Um, yeah. With depression mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. don't know if you struggled with anxiety at all throughout that time. Oh or, gosh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is that something you ever opened up to your family about at all? Or? Oh yes. They're very familiar with, with, you know, my anxiety, the depression issues. It's, it's, it's absolutely something that they're open to. And uh, my parents, being in the healthcare field, my mom and dad have always been very good about making sure that I get, that I see someone um, and, you know, start 
working on a medication regimen to help me. Um, um, they were very adamant about that, especially in my teen years. Okay. Um, so they, they were always supportive in that aspect. That's um, I know it is good. It is good because um, a lot of people don't have that kind of support. Depression's still an understood, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, depression's still an un a misunderstood illness. And it is, it's an illness. It's an illness. Clinical depression is a mental illness. Mm -hmm. that, like, we, we know this, right? We can see, there is evidence of this. We can see this often at the cellular level when we're looking at things like stress and how it impacts the brain and the different neurotransmitters that are uh, involved. Yeah. Um, it's an illness, you know, and I, I just, it, it, it breaks my heart that not everyone has that kind of support. Um, but I was very fortunate in that aspect. Of mm -hmm. course, you know, it's kind of a difficult cycle because everything I was going through certainly didn't make it any better. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, I found myself that um, struggling with identity in general in whatever sense it may be goes, like depression really feeds onto that <laughs> and clings onto it um, and can feel very lost. Oh, definitely yes. Oh, very yeah. lost. Yeah, and you know, and it was interesting because I was not one who really struggled for very long at all over am I gay? Am I bi? Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty quick. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gay. I knew that. Um, and I was fortunate that I had that experience and that, that I knew. I never went through a period of depression where I felt ashamed of myself for my sexuality. Mm. I felt, I'm trying to figure out the word, not ashamed. I, yeah, lost. I just felt lost because I, I didn't feel ashamed of it, but I was surrounded by people who were telling me that this is something that is a shameful thing. Yeah. And it's not. Mm -hmm. It's just baloney. So, yeah. Your relationship with your parents now, mm -hmm. I know, um, with just things that you've shared with me in the past, it, like, it has gotten better, little oh, yeah. bits at a time, I'm oh, yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. Um, what, I think it would be really good for for us to talk about that a little bit. Um, cause I still, I have a lot of friends, um, who are LGBTQ and in their early adulthood, some of them even deeper in their adulthood and the relationship has either stayed the same or even gotten worse. And that can be like a really also a lonely and lost place to be in. Cause it's, it's your family. It's oh, the, yeah. the two people who like right. made you like it's, it's your blood. And so that, can be a really heavy subject and I think I think the progress that you and your parents have made can give a lot of hope to people still out there who haven't seen any progress in their family yeah. um, so like what were some what were some things that you experienced throughout the years of like oh wait maybe it's getting a little bit better or yeah. conversations that may have happened between you guys yeah well you know every family is different yes um, and there are some families where a reconciliation of this kind of nature is not possible. There are some families where the healthiest thing for all parties is to release the bonds of a toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. um, but that's up to each individual, you know. I think in my situation, you, you know, I did. I held on to my anger for a long time. 
But I had a lot of people in my corner, including my brother-in-law, um, my sister's husband, who uh, has an awesome, awesome sister who uh, identifies as lesbian. Um, I remember when my sister and her husband first started dating and, you know, when we had conversations about this, there were many times where my brother-in-law just let my parents have it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I had some people in my, in my corner, very fortunately, and, you know, not everyone does. I think, but beyond that, I think my parents heard enough over time of, okay, maybe maybe people who actually care about this, we don't want to associate with as much. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I think having those people in my corner really did make a big difference. But I also had to put forth some effort as I grew up and say, all right, I'm attempting to have, have a relationship with you. Is it possible to move past this? And I think the biggest factor for me and what has helped me to reestablish a relationship with my parents is something um, that is invaluable, and that's time. It's just It just took time. Yeah. It just took time. Um, not everyone's story is going to end that way. Not everyone's going to be able to reconcile. But I think it, it, it's a thing where both parties have to, have to work on it. Yeah. Um, because nothing ever happens without conversation um yeah yeah that's that's a tough one um that's that's a tough one there are many people who would say no i don't wish to re reconcile with my family like that's just a, a cord that has already been cut yeah um but at the end of the day i guess the way i look at it blood is blood you know your family is your family and if you can make that relationship work um, it's worth it for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think the idea of a chosen family goes in that conversation as yes, well. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Because if, you know, if, if, uh, if someone doesn't have the support of their family, they don't have that relationship. I mean, that's a massive hole in their life. Um, and being able to surround oneself with people that they know love them. Um, and no matter what. You know, like, oh, you're gay, great. I don't care. You know, it's not even a thing. Mm -hmm. um, that can make a big difference. Just having that social support, yeah. it just means a bit. It, it means a lot. Um, it really does, um, and it makes a difference in the outcomes, especially in the case of LGBTQ youth. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, that's what I did. You know, I, I I've done that for years and years. I I I, my friends are my uh, are in. Uh, in fact, a form of a chosen family. Um, that's just how I've always been. I'm just fortunate that I also have my 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 blood related family as well, and that that relationship's getting better. You know, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's still there are still times where we have to work through some real heavy stuff. Um, but having those conversations makes all the difference. Yeah, definitely. And looping that back around, the act of listening too. Oh right, yeah. The yeah. effort and the conversation, being willing to to listen, process, yeah. and then respond, and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, honestly, we went through all the points <laughs> that I had that I'd sent to you at least. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I think I think it's just important for people to know that there are supportive communities out there, yeah. you know, um, 
it's hard, you know, and I, you know, even in high school when things were really rough at home, I had theater friends. I had, uh, some of the parents of my theater friends, for example, I felt like I had support even if I didn't feel like I was necessarily getting support at home at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was very lucky for that because not everyone has that. Some people just feel completely out on a limb on their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are organizations that can help. There are, you know, um, you know, each city and each state has, you know, different organizations, of course. Um, but it's worth seeing what resources there are in the community that can help people who are, you know, going through these issues to realize that they're not alone. In fact, they're not out on a limb by themselves. Unfortunately, when we see things that are directed towards the LGBTQ community in the media, um, it's kind of like the, the hateful things is kind of, it's kind of generally what makes the news, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you think of it in terms of just media coverage in general. Um, you know, someone, you know, someone was killed in a car crash in Nevada. Okay. Um, we don't hear about that here, but a plane goes down somewhere, right? And the whole nation will know about it. It's kind of this perceived intensity of news and um, what is, you know, what is deemed newsworthy. And unfortunately, a lot of times, what we see is just that outright hate, you know, the news coverage about the transgender bills, yeah. you know, all of that. But there are good people out there. There are wonderful communities of support out there. Um, it's about seeking those communities out and, and, and really finding them. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. You know, it's, and it's important. It really, really is just because, you know, circling back to the beginning of our conversation, constant rejection and, and feeling like you don't belong and feeling lost leads to a lot of issues. It really does. It leads to things like uh, body dysmorphia. It leads to things like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you know, it, it, um, suicide, you know, um, it, it's, it's a vicious cycle. It really, really is. Um, and time and time again, the research shows us that having a supportive, loving community of which one feels a part of is a way to uh, combat those kinds of statistics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My friend at my center always says, uh, the people standing with you, oh wait, sorry. Yeah, the people standing with you are stronger than those standing against you. Yes, I would agree with that. That's great. I like that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, um, that's good. I like that. Yeah, right? I had to write it down when she told me. I was like, wait, say that again. <laughs> She'll probably hear this when, when she listens. But yeah, I think that that definitely rings true, whether it be your blood family or your chosen family. That's right. Or the communities that um, stand by you and support you. And um, I think it's important to... Also do research uh, on those communities in your community <laughs> and That's give right. back as much as you can, whether it be through volunteer or donations or just social media, definitely. I think I agree with the news. We hear about a lot of the hatred and all the bad stuff that goes on and the, um, the controversial things that just stir people up. Having social media and using it to post the good things and the positive things and the true things 
Um, <laughs> That's a whole other episode in and right. of itself, right? Yeah. Um, it's huge. Yeah. I definitely try to do that a lot. Um, that whole, like, you can't believe everything you read on the internet, whatever. Of well, course it rings true. And like you said in the beginning, make sure the sources that you're looking at are accurate, are not biased in a specific way. but That just, goes for everything. Yes. yes. Just yes. gives the truth and what's going on and checking in on that and making sure that it is true. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I would ultimately, I would just encourage uh, anyone in the community who, who, who feels, if, you know, if they feel like they're alone, if they feel lost, I mean, just make sure that you aren't staying alone. Surround yourself with those people who love you. Um, you know, it really does make all the difference in the world. Um, it, it really does. Um, and I think as a whole, we're moving in the right direction towards, yeah. you know, true equality for all people in the country. But, uh, you know, we're moving that way, but we're far from that, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, that's just the state of affairs currently. But, you know, that's, that's how we move forward. We keep fighting and... Um, we lift each other up instead of break each other down. And that's that's really what it comes down to, I would say, mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Definitely. Yeah. That was good. Thank you. Thank you so much for telling your story and being vulnerable. And I'm really grateful that you have taken time to teach me a little bit and hopefully teach some of the listeners a little bit. And we all leave this conversation with motivation to actively listen and to actively support um, and have a, lot, have a lot more empathy, definitely. Absolutely. So, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome. Thanks, Steven. <laughs>